Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again today. Make sure you are praying for our Mexico team that's going down to Mexico next weekend. Uh, We're blessing them off this weekend and commissioning them. They're going to go down and build a house as part of a church planting network that we've been supporting for a few years now that's built over 50 churches. And they always build a house for a pastor and often a little school for the kids to come to. And uh, so we're building a house this year. And what a great season in which to do that, in which there's so much stress and anxiety over, uh, you know, the building of walls and immigration in our society. And there's so much conflict about that now. How great to be proactive rather than defensive and go spend just a small sliver of our time and our resources to make someone else's home better. What a a great, faithful thing to do. Uh, And I know people will say, uh, it's not enough. You can't make a a dent. The need is just too big. One house isn't going to make a difference. That is an unchristian voice. Jesus took 12 guys and changed the world. And there are over 2 billion Christians in the world today because he did that. You don't have to have a big impact. You have to have a faithful impact and let the Spirit do the rest. And so pray for our Mexico team as they go off. Uh, uh, They're going to do great stuff. And uh, you guys have been very generous about supporting them. You know, I've been saying in recent weeks, if you give uh, $24 extra in 2024, that'll cover the $7,000 we give to that church planting network to provide all the supplies uh, for the house. And I think we were at 90% of the way there uh, last I checked. So thank you all for being so uh, gracious and generous with that. Um, speaking of all that, uh, that's not just me uh, pontificating on current events. That's actually a good introduction to our continuing series on the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is all about people who want to live in a different kind of world, in a different kind of society with different values than the, si- the society that is around most of us. Remember, the, the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, a series of blessings in which Jesus says, if the kingdoms of this world have ripped you off, I want to invite you to a different kind of kingdom. If the kingdom of this world has left you poor in spirit, homeless in this world, I have a home for you. Come and let me make a home for you. If if this world has left you mourning in my kingdom, all tears will be wiped away. If this kingdom has left you meek, if it's left you at the bottom society, if you feel powerless, come to my kingdom and I will appoint you to a place of authority. The the Sermon on the Mount begins with a a campaign promise. Remember like the promise, uh, a chicken in every pot and two cars in every garage from, from the 1920s. This is Jesus' campaign promise. If you join my kingdom, this is what you'll get. It will not rip you off like the kingdoms of this world. So if you feel ripped off in this world, come and join my kingdom. He starts out with, that's the the who of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And the Sermon on the Mount will provoke you. When he describes his kingdom, it is not like what you are used to. And when you hear what he wants and expects for his kingdom, some of it is going to rub you wrong. I once memorized the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, memorized the whole thing end to end, and I stood up and preached that on a Sunday instead of writing my own sermon. I just plagiarized the Lord, and uh, and I preached it, but I didn't, didn't say what I was doing. I just got up and I went through the Sermon on the Mount, and a woman came up to me afterwards and said, I didn't agree with everything you said up there. 
<laughs> and and sh- that meant she was listening because the Sermon on the Mount ought to rub you wrong. There ought to be things in here that go wait, make you say, wait a minute, how is that right? Because Jesus is inviting us to a different kingdom and to values in a, a different world. So he starts with the who it's for. It's for those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek. And now he's going to move today into the what, what this kingdom is going to be about, what you're going to do once you've been chosen to be a part of this kingdom. So if the opening part was the uh, the, um, the, uh, the the call to the, to the kingdom, the uh, the uh, what's the word? Not the con- this is like it's like a constitution uh, for a new kingdom. It was a campaign speech. If the opening part was the campaign speech, this next part is the trainee orientation. You're new on the job, and here's what we're going to do on this job together. So that's what we're going to get to today. Let's uh, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for calling us to your kingdom. Thank you for inviting us into a new world. Thank you that when we feel like this world has robbed us, you put us in a new place uh, with new vision and new goals and new values. Uh, Jesus, we seek to follow you and to be faithful to you. So by the power of your spirit, open up to us the doors to a new kingdom. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to read through the whole Sermon on the Mount in this series, verse by verse. And now we're in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. A little tiny passage with a couple of metaphors. Let's read it together. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's it. A short little tiny passage there that commissions his chosen followers. If you are, if this kingdom is for you, if you're joining this kingdom, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out into the world to be salt and light. And the beautiful thing about Jesus' use of metaphors is that they, they leave you to ponder what he meant. He doesn't spell it all out in detail. This is not kindergarten level teaching. He makes you stop and wonder and discuss and pursue. And that's on, that's on purpose. That's what his parables do. So let's, let's talk about what, what what it means for Jesus to call us to be salt and light in the world. It occurs to me that salt does two things and light does two things. Salt does two things. First of all, it preserves. Salt preserves meat. That's what they would have used salt for in Jesus' day. And you as a follower of Jesus are placed in the world to preserve things that need to be preserved, things that need to be kept around, things that need to last. Uh, I've been sounding the alarm through the course of my ministry that the church in America is on the decline. It's been on the decline since before I was born. Since the late 1960s, church attendance in America has been on a straight drop. And it has been a slow drop, although it has accelerated in recent years. The pandemic certainly uh, hit it uh, quite a bit more, uh, and there's no sign of it abating. Uh, it, It would change dramatically if Christians would simply love the way Jesus loved and seek to introduce people to Jesus. That's all it would take. If every single one of us just sought over the next 365 days to love one person in Jesus' name 
and to introduce them to Jesus, the church in America would easily double, and it would be one of the greatest revivals in human history. If every one of us just took 365 days, it's all the time you need. This is not a heavy yoke. And just love one person in Jesus' name and introduce them to Jesus. That would radically change our communities, our society, our nation, and the world. And it's entirely doable. We have these blessing cards in the the lobby of our church where you can take this card and write down the names of people that you're going to seek to bless, to pray for, and to give good gifts to, and to encourage, and to love, and to introduce to Jesus. And we put those cards somewhere where we'll see them every day so we can pray for those people and remember, remember those people. And if we do that over the course of 365 days, if every one of us does this, the church will double and the decline will turn around. It hasn't turned around in 60 years. And I think part of the reason that is is because the decline feels slow. We are like the proverbial frogs in a boiling pot of water that's just being turned up one degree at a time so that you don't notice it at first. You don't feel a dramatic and sudden change. You just start to think, oh, it's a little more, it's a little more humid this year than it was last year. Maybe I'll move somewhere else. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll just pull my kids and put them in private school or homeschooling. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just switch churches. If, if my little church dies, I'll just move over to another church. I'll just keep doing that. And we're not addressing the problem. We're just making ourselves comfortable as the temperature gets turned up one degree at a time. I remember visiting the Kilauea uh, volcano in Hawaii where I used to live. And you see images of volcanoes exploding all over the place and they look, look you know, vitriolic. You don't realize that most of the time lava is flowing down the mountain so slowly that you can walk up to it. I've done this. You walk right up to the lava and you can take a stick and stick it right in the lava just to see what happens like a little kid. Stick catches fire is the answer to the question. But it moves so slowly, it's no threat to you. You can dance around it because it's moving like molasses. And you and I live in a society that is on a theological and moral and spiritual decline that has been going on for decades so slowly that people are just dancing around it. We forget that Christians are put in society by Jesus to preserve things that need to be preserved. If you live in America, You've grown up in a culture and a context where you take for granted the fact that the average person on the street thinks that you should be kind to other people, even strangers, and that everyone should generally be free and equal. Those are values that we just take for granted, that we assume. And and if you don't think about it, you may think everybody around the world thinks the same way. That's absolutely not true. There are entire societies that are not built on the idea that everybody has value and everybody should be free and equal. In fact, the majority of countries in the world don't just by default assume that. The atheistic regimes of the the last uh, 100 years have killed over 100 million of their own people because they're not all valuable and equal. The uh, Muslim societies in the world today, the Muslim majority countries, do not take for granted that everyone should be free and equal. Those are values which have a, a philosophical history and they have to be preserved. They don't just naturally preserve themselves. The idea that every single human being has dignity and worth is something that was taught explicitly by Jesus. And when Martin Luther came along in the 16th century and he saw the church had stratified with a hierarchy where popes and priests lorded it over 
the common folk. Luther said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said there should be a priesthood of all believers. We are all on level ground. Sin is the great democratic value that says we are all broken, we are all fallen, and, and nobody is spiritually higher than, than anyone else. We, we can all hear from God and we are all broken by sin and we should all view ourselves as equal. Luther translated the Bible from Latin, which was a dead language that only the priests could read. He translated the Bible from Latin into German so that everybody could read it in his society. Right? And he started a revolution because he preserved the idea in the teachings of the scriptures that every human being deserves dignity and has value and that the world should be free and equal. He gets this from the the letter of Galatians, where Paul says there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no male or female, there's no slave or free, all are one in Jesus. And Luther says that should be preserved. 150 years after him, there was a Protestant Christian living in England, somebody who was influenced and shaped by Luther's work and by the Bible, a guy named John Locke. And John Locke read the Bible, and he quotes prolifically from the Bible. He was a Christian guy, and he says, the, the scriptures say that God created us to be free and equal. That's in the Bible. And, and we're living in a society with kings, and they don't leave us free and equal at all. And I think Luther was onto something. And maybe our governments should treat everybody with value and dignity and make it so that everybody is free and equal. That's a, a value that's been lost, and it needs to be preserved. John Locke's writings were read by Thomas Jefferson who in the Declaration of Independence virtually quotes directly from Locke and says, we are given certain unalienable rights, rights that should not be taken away by our creator, such that all, all people should be uh, free to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And I understand that the Founding Fathers did not get this exactly right, and there were horrors of slavery and prejudice and sexism that, that ran through that, but they were seeking to reach back into the teachings of Jesus that said all people should be free and equal because every individual has dignity and worth. And it would take centuries more for us to hammer out the fact that that should apply to everybody. And we're still hammering it out. But it, it's a value that existed in the teachings of the scriptures that Luther said should be preserved and Locke said should be preserved. And Jefferson wrote it into our, our founding principles. And you and I are now planted in a world that enjoys the residue of Judeo-Christian values that says every single human being has value and deserves dignity. Not just the kings, not just the aristocracy, not just the priesthood, everybody. We're all broken by sin. We can all hear from God. It should be a level playing field. Those values come from somewhere. They don't just exist. And they're not guaranteed. We have to preserve them. It matters that you live for the kingdom of Jesus and not for the kingdoms of this world because those good values come from the kingdom of Jesus. Salt preserves, and you and I are put into the world to preserve things that matter. And if we all did it, if we all committed ourselves to living for Jesus' kingdom and just loving one person over the next 365 days and praying for them and blessing them and giving them good gifts and encouraging them and pointing them towards Jesus, in a year, the church would double. If real life doubled, it would change our community. If the church in America doubled, it would change the world. Secondly, salt flavors. It's uh, not just function, it's form. 
Uh, it doesn't just do work, it actually makes food taste better. And Christians are put into the world to love creatively in Jesus' name, to create beautiful things. Uh, the history of Christian art was an attempt to explore that which was beautiful and to project the great stories of the scripture and of God's love for us in creative and beautiful ways. And in the ways that you and I seek to creatively love in Jesus' name, we, we paint a picture of a different kingdom. We paint a, a, a picture of a kingdom that tastes better than this world. Uh, I remember when I was 22 years old, I got my first full-time job at a church. I was right out of uh, UC Berkeley, and I hadn't gone to seminary yet. I wanted to take a year off. This is a good thing to do between your bachelor's and your master's. Take a year off and think, is it, am I headed in the right direction? Because I don't want to waste money on another degree if I, this isn't right. And so I took a year off and worked in the church. Had a great year uh, in student ministry. One of the fun things we did that year was uh, I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get my class, I believe class B license, so I could B, C, whatever it was, so I could drive the, the big church van. And uh, the DMV has historically had a bad reputation. It's improved a lot, uh, but back in my day, it had not improved and it did not want to improve. They were grouchy people and they were grouchy simply for the sport of being grouchy. It was a miserable experience. And uh, you could tell because when you went to the DMV, there was a sign right over the door that said, abandon hope, all you who enter here. I don't know why they put that there, but that's what that was there. And um, I went back and I told my youth group about it and my youth group came up with an idea. And I think this was a first in world history. We, we did the world's first DMV ministry. And a week later, we stormed into the DMV, this youth group of dozens of kids, and we gave out candy and notes of encouragement to all the DMV employees saying that uh, someone at the Pleasanton Presbyterian Church cares about you. And it was cute. It was a small thing. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, what difference did it make? But I'm pretty sure it was the first DMV ministry in world history. I'm not sure anybody's ever even tried that before. And, and for teenagers who are learning the values of the kingdom, it was a microcosm of what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us flavoring the world, creatively loving the world, and doing things that are beautiful so that the world catches a glimpse of a different world, so that the world catches a glimpse of heaven. Salt preserves and salt flavors. And if all of us do it for just one person this year, the church will double. Secondly, uh, light does two things. Uh, first of all, light dispels shadows. I remember a friend of mine who was a church uh, administrative assistant named Patty. And Patty told me her story of how she had become a Christian. Uh, Patty said that she had, uh, as a young woman, had not been a Christian and she was out clubbing one night. And when she was uh, at the club and they were drinking and everything, she, um, she just felt an overwhelming darkness where she was. Uh, it was all she knew. That's where she went to, went to have fun. But she could just feel this darkness. And it wasn't the, that the lights were turned down. It was something spiritual. And she said the next morning was Sunday and she went to church on Sunday morning, didn't feel like it, was exhausted, but went to church anyway. And she didn't remember anything about the sermon or what went on at church that day, but she said she remembered a feeling. She said it felt light. She said, I don't mean it was sunny. That's not what I'm talking about. It felt light. And it was such a contrast to the darkness that I experienced the night before. I knew I wanted to live in the light. 
and she turned and gave her life to Jesus. And that's something all of us can do. When you come to that moment where you realize, I've been living for the wrong things. I've been living for the wrong kingdom, and I'd rather live in the light. All you have to do is, in the silence of your heart right now, pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Take my life and lead me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I call you my Lord. And when you pray that prayer, you start life in a new kingdom. Light dispels the shadows. It casts out the darkness, and it brings us into a, a place of light. It, it doesn't it doesn't turn us into religious legalists. A lot of people feel like, well, I don't want to start, I don't want to, you know, stop clubbing and start going to church because that just sounds like a boring, stale, litigious religious person. I don't want that. C.S. Lewis actually was very smart here. He said, uh, remember, salt uh, doesn't overpower the flavor of food. If used rightly, it enhances the flavor of food. It brings out the natural flavor of food. And if our fear is that by committing ourselves to Jesus, we'll lose our own personality, we'll lose our identity, that's a misunderstanding. Jesus enhances who he made us to be. He enhances our creativity. He makes us more of ourselves. And so uh, so light, light dispels darkness and sets us free uh, to be ourselves. Secondly, light helps us illumine our inner world. It casts out shadows. It protects us from the, the dark world around us, but it illumines our inner world as well. Um, um, I, it's, such, it's such a revelation the first time you pray the Lord's Prayer and you pray, deliver, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you've been thinking all along, it's evil out there that I need to be protected from. And you realize he's talking about evil in here, right? Light helps us stop stumbling. It, it clarifies what's around us so we stop tripping over ourselves. Think about this. You and I still live in a society where the, the vast swath of Americans have grown up hearing at one point or another in a Sunday school, you should love your neighbor. You should love your enemy. You shouldn't hit back. You shouldn't go get revenge. You shouldn't thirst after money. You shouldn't treat other people like objects because every single person is a child of God created with value and deserving dignity. And that comes from the teachings of Jesus. And when, when little kids all over your society catch just a, a whiff of that growing up, there's a default assumption that there's something right about that. You and I are about to live into a society where that's not the case anymore. Sociologist and statistician Ryan Burge has said that by the year 2070, the number of people in America who say they are, they're called nuns, who have no religious affiliation, will outnumber Christians. By the year 270, the number of people who say, I have no religious affiliation, is going to cross paths with those who say that they're Christians, and society will flip. And we will live in a world where a majority of people do not grow up hearing, you should love your neighbor, you should love your enemy, you should not hit back, you should not lust after money. And that's going to be a different world. It'll be a darker world because the light that many of us grew up with will not be illumining the paths of so many people in our society. That's coming unless we turn it around. The solution is contained in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is going to be the constitution of Jesus' coming kingdom. It's going to be how we live when we join his kingdom instead of living in the kingdom of the world. And it's going to be counterintuitive and countercultural, and some of it is going to rub us wrong. But it'll set us free to a mission in which we are 
salt that preserves that which is valuable and adds flavor to the world, in which we are light, which dispels the shadows and makes the pathways clear. For now, as we go out, just know that you have been chosen to be part of the solution. Go and love people in Jesus' name, just one. Bless them, pray for them, encourage them, give them good gifts, and tell them who Jesus is. If every single one of us does it in the course of a year, the church is likely to double. People will see a people who are living for a different world, who are living with grace and love, and they will glorify our Father in heaven because of it. Let's make it so. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you have called us out of darkness into into light. And as you do so, you make us light in this world. So Jesus, place us in communities, in schools, in workplaces that need your light and that need your love. Instill your values in us, the values of your kingdom, so that we live by different principles in this world. And as we do so, we do it all for you. Give us the courage and the confidence to sacrifice everything for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.